Welcome to the Basketball Index Podcast. I'm your host, Taylor, and today we're recapping the first round of playoffs. So as of recording, all the playoff series are done, except Sacramento and Golden State is tied 3-3. So we'll we'll touch on that series a little bit, but we'll obviously talk about the ones that finished more. But, uh, you know, right before I, I hit record, uh, I was thinking about sometimes people ask me like, oh, what is it like to work at a, a basketball data company or, you know, what's it like to be a podcaster or things like that? And uh, it's about three o'clock here almost uh, in the day, in the, in, the, in the afternoon. And I today needed to exercise and record this podcast. And it's, it's 3 p.m. I finally got around to it. Haven't exercised yet, but you know, it'll happen. What else have I done today? I have... I watched a 30-minute video that recapped everything that happened in Westworld because I watched the first season and then kind of lost interest. So that 30-minute uh, recap of the whole series, and let me tell you, that, that that show really goes in a lot of different directions. And I ate some expired turkey burgers. So if you're wondering what it's like a day in the life of uh, someone working at a basketball analytics podcast, it's about 3 p.m., finally getting around to some work, and uh, yeah, just had some uh, just had some lunch, but... Let's get into uh, recapping the first round of the playoffs because it's been a very fun first round. I feel like the first round is each round is different, right? Because like first round, the matchups aren't going to be the best in the playoffs, obviously, because you know the high seeds are playing the low seeds. But it's so exciting just because the amount of basketball that's going on where it's like feels like every day there's like three or four games. So it has a little bit of like a, a March Madness feel where there's just there's so much going on. But I just want to go through the series one by one, kind of put my two cents in what I saw, what my takeaways were, and then also just kind of presents what I thought were interesting storylines that, you know, basketball Twitter uh, or kind of the analytics have unearthed because, you know, we don't have time to watch every series. I know. I I mean, even myself, like, you know, you just got to make some decisions that like the the Denver, Minnesota series, I maybe watched 15 minutes of where it was like, "Eh, I think I got it. I think I got an idea of what's going to happen in that just kind of before the series, like Jade McDaniels out from Minnesota. Denver's been the one seed. And, you know, they got a lot to prove in the playoffs. I I don't think this will be too difficult. But let's start from the top. We'll work our way down. So Milwaukee and Miami, obviously the huge upset with Miami winning 4-1. And this one's tough, obviously, because Giannis got hurt and missed time. But these games were crazy. We saw a, a level of Jimmy Butler. He's been really good the last few years in the playoffs, especially last year. Like, he was really, really good. Took Boston to seven games. You know, was one shot away from the finals. And... I was thinking about where I ranked Jimmy. I had him in my top 75. I did like a mid-season edition. This is a couple months ago now. I think I had him as maybe like the 14th best player. And I've always been trying to like figure out exactly where he is because he's a good offensive player, but there are offensive players that are better. And then he's a very good defensive player with a lot of defensive playmaking, which is very exciting and obviously translates to offense. You got to you got to give some of that defensive value over the offensive end. But I feel like in the playoffs the last 2 years he's taken it to another level, especially this year, where it's like, okay, I had my reservations about Jimmy as the best player on a championship team and I feel like last year and this year I feel like I've kind of changed my tune on that and I think there are there's been Jimmy truthers forever. I've always been really high on him. I've always really enjoyed him. 
I think he has like, I, you know, we obviously we talk about him a little bit here, but not a ton like the mental side of things that, you know, whatever you want to call it, like championship pedigree, all that the willpower or whatever it is. And he obviously is like exuding that radiating it to where like people can feel it. So I think that our opinion of Jimmy in his 30s, especially his stint with Miami, where he's been with a, a pretty good franchise surrounded with talent, not the best talent in the league, but legit talent. Obviously, Hero broke his hand in this series, which is a bummer. But, you know, he has Bam with him. Bam's a really good player, has been for you know a number of years now. But it's going to be interesting. They're going to play Cleveland in the second round. They are down on firepower because Hero was out. Jimmy's kind of their only creator. But another thing from the series was the Heat shot like 78% from three. I don't know if you've seen the exact numbers, but it's kind of good. People are starting to research it. It's like one of the, the best shooting series for a team that a lot of people can remember. So uh, I'm excited to see the exact numbers on that come out. But I've seen some tweets on that. Uh, another interesting kind of, you know, how did the Bucks lose? Obviously, Giannis missing time was a really big part of that. But it's been tough because, like, Chris Middleton has been – like, he missed a lot of the year. I know Joe Ingles was a guy they brought in. He missed a big chunk of the season. So it was a little unclear for the secondary creators outside of Drew Holiday exactly what you had because it was sort of a short span in which you saw them. And then Giannis going down at the beginning of the first game really took the wind out of their sails. And uh, Miami capitalized. I mean, Jimmy Butler's been the best player in the playoffs this year through one series. So uh, obviously really exciting. Let's talk about who they're going to play in the second round. Cleveland uh, fell to New York. New York took the series 4-1. Cleveland was a team I was really high on. I love the Donovan Mitchell trade. I think Darius Garland is a, a absolutely perfect second, you know, second best player on a team. He has good creation, had some nice moments here in the playoffs, obviously coupling Allen and Mobley. I really like that defensive tandem, but the big question mark for Cleveland was their depth. And man, they really could have used uh, a four that could stretch the floor, could open things up for their creators, and could rebound the ball because they got killed on the offensive boards. I mean, Mitchell Robinson is a, I mean, he's a good player who's an outstanding offensive rebounder. I know we talk about, um, we talk about Steven Adams a lot as like the best offensive rebounder in the league, which I think is true, but Mitchell Robinson's right there behind him is probably the second best. And he was an absolute monster in the series. And I think Kevin loves, you know, you got that, you know, veteran experience where I'm not a huge experience. Cause like the problem with experience is there's a lot of people you know, let's just think of like any job you've worked at. There's a lot of people in industry that have a lot of experience. Some of them are good. Some of them are bad. Like, I don't really care if a guy has 10 years of NBA experience and he's a bad player, you know, like it's just really not that valuable to me in the playoffs. But Kevin Love obviously has had a very good career. He's contributing with Miami this year in the playoffs. So it's like, well, I, if only you had that player on your team earlier in your roster and you just maybe could have kept him in the rotation because I think the rebounding would have been helpful. And then also the three point shooting would have been huge because Cleveland I mean, Karis LeVert, you know, he he contributed. But then after that, I mean, Dean Wade, my guy, didn't really even get a shot, which was disappointing. But, you know, there was there was a, a very old version of Danny Green. They tried a little bit, but they tried a little bit of Ricky Rubio. And it's just, I don't know, they, they just didn't have the depth, that, especially against New York. Like, New York was a team that was playing really good this year. But they also, they go like eight or nine deep. And I felt like that was kind of apparent in this series where – uh, Randall obviously was dealing with a little bit of an ankle injury and they just had like 
another guy to step. What is that? The old they, they would always talk about it with the Packers when they won the championship with Aaron Rodgers, the next man up thing, where it's like, yeah, I get it was a little bit of a bit, but it, it, it is real. You do need guys on the bench to step up. You need like that random big game because like this is kind of how it works. Stars, for the most part, are going to play well in almost all of the games. Like I think if you're a top, we'll say 15 player in the league, like there's going to have there's going to come a time where like you probably have one bad game a series, right? And then what separates you from, you know, player 25 or player 35 in the league is that you don't have three bad games in a series. And I feel like there's the inverse of that. So you need consistency from your good players to have, you know, game to game, you know, whatever it may be, you know, something like 25, 30 points, you know, seven or eight assists, good true shooting percentage. Like you just need that efficiency of your best players to carry you through a series. And then the point of your depth is to have multiple guys that are capable of having a big game. They're capable of impacting a game, whether it's, you know, a two-way player that maybe has a couple steals, a block, hits, you know, four or five threes, or whether it's an isolation score coming off the bench to drop 20, whatever it may be, you need in a series maybe two or three big games from role players. And Cleveland got zero of those, and that really didn't help. And then, I mean, this isn't taking away from, like, New York. New York really played well the second half of the year. They made a trade for Josh Hart. I feel like he played pretty well in this series. Uh, and they're moving on. So Miami and New York is going to be a very interesting game. These are two teams capable of playing really high-end defense, and it's kind of interesting because Miami will have the best player in the series, in Jimmy Butler, but New York will have the depth. So I'm I'm really interested. I think this is going to be a really fun one. So let's move on. Philly sweeps Brooklyn 4-0. And I think that's just kind of expected. Philly is a, a very good team playing at a high level. Embiid is having a monster season. Brooklyn, while very deep, this is why depth isn't as important in the playoffs as star power. Like, this is a really good series. I don't think we need to spend a lot of time on it. Obviously, Philly is better. Uh, moving on, Boston. They took down Atlanta 4-2. Atlanta, you know, showed a little fight late in the series. I think that was important. They had a frustrating season because they do have – a fair amount of talent on the team. I don't want to say they're a hyper-talented team because they're not, but they traded for DeJounte Murray. That was exciting. Obviously, you have Trey. You have players that are solid in Clint Capella. He is a solid starting center. You have John Collins, who is an enigma, is a mystery. No one knows who how good he is, but you know, you see the athleticism. You see that he can stretch out of the three-point line, and you're like, okay, well, there's you know, we're we're on the fourth best player. This is an intriguing player. And, you know, they were 500 all year. And to show fight versus what most people consider in Boston as pretty much the best team all year, I think that is important. I know they had a coaching change late in the season. I'm interested to see how they retool in the offseason. They don't have as many options because they used a lot of first-round picks, a lot of ammunition getting DeJounte Murray in the offseason. But Boston takes that series. And I think... This is like, this is a really good series in the second round. Philadelphia and Boston. I like, there's this has the potential to be the best series in the playoffs, which is a pretty wild thing to say. Cause I mean, after that, we have the conference finals and then obviously the NBA finals. But the champion could possibly come out of this series, Philadelphia versus Boston. This is going to be a really, really good test for these teams. I'm excited to see it. I'm excited to see how Boston 
tries to slow down Embiid. And then I'm interested to see how Harden fares against a high-end, really deep defense in Boston. Uh, so that's the East. I uh, touched on all the games. Really excited. I think the the conference semis are going to be really great. It's interesting that Miami and New York, like one of those teams is going to be in the conference finals. Because if you, I don't know, if you said that at the beginning of the year, I'd be like, okay, like Miami making it back. Like that seems like plausible. I know they had a tough season, a lot of injuries, but um, Philly and Boston, that's must-see TV. Moving on to the West. Uh, in the first round, we had Denver taking on Minnesota. You touched on that earlier. You know, Denver, it's no offense to Minnesota, just Denver's a, a different uh, class of team. They are uh, an offensively slanted team that is really deadly. They have the MVP from the last two years on their team. And Minnesota is, how do I put this delicately? In an interesting situation, right? So they bring in Gobert, right, at the beginning of the year. And the idea is, okay, we got to figure out how to have him and Cat play together. Because Cat, just defensively as your center, it's just not going to work in the playoffs. You're never going to get very far. He's one of the worst defenders in the league. The flip side of that, he's a devastating offensive player. So you bring in Gobert, who had been one of the best defenders in the league over the last five-plus years. And you're like, we're going to scooch Cat over. And we're going to hide those deficiencies. Cat goes down, misses a ton of time during the year. And that was really difficult for them. However, Kyle Anderson did a fantastic job this year. Uh, he was one of, I thought, one of the better kind of non-huge contract free agent signings. Uh, he offered really good versatility for that team. And we got to see a lot of him this year. And then the injuries just sort of this like stack up for Minnesota. Nas Reed, he was a backup that had played a lot of big minutes this year and played pretty well. He got hurt. Obviously, Jaden McDaniels punching a wall. He broke his hand. That really hurts. He was pretty much the best like perimeter wing defender probably in the league this year. He had a super elite year in all of our perimeter defense metrics. Um, people are really, really excited about him as one of the the best young defenders in the league. So losing him hurt and, you know, they're playing Denver and Denver. I mean, pretty much for the entire year, looked like the best team in the West. So I'm excited to see Denver in the next round. Um, they took care of business with Minnesota, took the, the series four one. After that, we have Phoenix. They topped uh, the Clippers four one. This looked like a really interesting series early on. Um, obviously, it hurt that Paul George was out with an injury and then Kawhi wasn't able to finish the series. I think I heard that he had a sprained knee and uh, I don't know why that wasn't like more in front of, you know, like normally when a star player gets hurt, it's like, okay, this is what's wrong. This is about how many weeks they're going to be out. And it's pretty accurate and it gets to you pretty quickly. I know with Kawhi's injuries, it's been like very hush hush for, it feels like his entire time with the Clippers, but I just thought that was very strange. Uh, Phoenix takes care of business for one Russ. I think the, the takeaway of this is Russ had a really big series. He, uh, defensively and offensively was just generating a lot of value, which was, uh, interesting to see because he had a really tough time on the Lakers. And, uh, I, I liked him going to the Clippers. I didn't think he was going to play this big of a role, but that ended up being like a pretty good move in hindsight. I know some people didn't like it, but, I, I did at the time, and then after the playoff series, it's like, oh, yeah, that, that was a really great pickup midseason. So Phoenix, I'm a little worried, about, or not worried, but the the thing with Phoenix is, you know, they have Devin Booker and Kevin Durant. 
where the issue with Durant is he hasn't played with the team a whole lot, right? Because he got traded and you know missed some time with injury. Him and Booker, not really worried about. Booker is kind of elevating his game. He has been the last few years. It hasn't been the the giant large jumps early in his career, but just this is how it works, right? Like your first couple of years, you take a couple huge leaps forward if you're going to be a better player normally. And then after that, every year you get a little better at something and it changes season to season, but just his half court scoring, he continues to get just a little bit better. And we have half court shooting talent, which is a really good metric. So we have overall shooting talent, but that obviously incorporates transition and half court. The half court's a little bit more important to me in the playoffs because they, the defense is just more locked in, right? So it's, it's higher value. And that takes into account your shot making, your shot quality and your shot creation. And then the way shot making works is it, it's basically like adjusted for difficulty. The shot making is informed by the shot quality to like figure out how well you're performing. And then the creation is obviously how often you're doing it. So his half court uh, shooting talent has continued to improve every year. And that is really promising for a really high end player. I think I had him at my mid season, maybe like the 15th or 16th best player in the league. And it's been interesting for him because historically he was a very bad defender and then he's been like a d he went from an f to a d defensively so it was like okay that's promising you're on a better team now you have better infrastructure around you good coaching and you like to see that elevate as a star obviously you're doing a lot of work on offense your job isn't to make a bunch of plays on defense but he has carved out a role as a chaser meaning he chases other shooters and he's actually provided pretty good value there even in the regular season i know he made some defensive splashes in the postseason here which is very exciting because that's the way you propel yourself into the top 10 it's really hard to be a top 10 player and be really bad at defense like the only player that really does it is dame and that's because dame is just otherworldly on offense and he can afford that other than that it's very very hard to propel yourself into the top 10 as a very bad defender so that is really exciting for not only the Suns, but just Booker's career trajectory. Other than that, Chris Paul and DeAndre Ayton are the question marks. Because for me, I know when you make the trade for KD, you're trading away a lot of your depth. But I actually kind of like their, uh, their they were their back-end bench pieces. Like, I like Torrey Craig. I actually think Torrey Craig is a pretty good defender. He's, you know, solid on the perimeter. He offers actually a little bit of rim protection. And I understand, like, the guys he's guarding are going to put up huge numbers, but that's because his matchup difficulty is just so high. Like he's guarding the best player on every team. Like, of course he's going to give up 30 all the time, but there's a difference between giving up 45 and 38, you know, like where it's not that sexy and it's not what people, people at the water cooler on Monday aren't like, well, did you see he reduced that possibly like 45 point game to a 38 point game? But it's like, that's important. It's pretty important to do that. Um, also, Damian Lee, I like. Uh, I like Landry Shamit. So I actually don't mind the Suns really like back end guys. They're now in the rotation because they traded away their depth. My main concern is Chris Paul and DeAndre Ayton. Those those back two of their top four because the idea is Denver is really really top heavy or sorry Phoenix is really really top heavy and then there's a big gap and then they have like some solid like NBA level bench players right but my concern is what happens to Chris Paul and DeAndre Ayton especially DeAndre Ayton trying to stop Jokic in the playoffs that's going to be a really interesting matchup actually on kind of on both sides I'm interested to see how that goes 
Uh, moving on, Sacramento and Golden State. So this series is not over. Um, it's tied 3-3. I don't know who's going to win. This has been a fantastic, one of the best first-round series I've seen in a long time. And they've just been trading blows back and forth. Now that Sacramento pulled it back to 3-3 and there's going to be a game seven, I was leaning Golden State the entire series. And it's hard to bet against Steph. It's hard to bet against Golden State in general. But Sacramento has shown a lot of fight. I feel like Fox has been playing at a really high level. Breaking his finger really hurts. But I, I, I'm really excited to see how this series wraps up. Uh, oh, I forgot. We didn't really talk a whole lot about the, the Denver Phoenix. We talked about it a little bit. I'm interested to see these games just first one to 130. I want to see just an insane amount of points, uh, a high pace game, you know, kind of that like semi transition where there it's not that there's nobody back, but there's like three back and there's two or three pushing on offense and everybody else is trying to catch up. I want to see if I'm Denver, I'm just like, hey, Phoenix, I know you got a lot of shot makers. I know you are a really good mid range team. I know Kevin Durant can score with the best of them. But I'd be like, can your squad keep up with my squad to 130 points? Because I don't know. We're pretty well oiled. We've been playing together all year. Let's see if you can do it. Uh, let's move on to the last series, Memphis and the Lakers. So Lakers closed it out last night 4-2. Lakers had two really big wins in the series. That was uh, very encouraging because the Lakers this year obviously were, were bad before the trade deadline. They were a bad team. They go out. They add a lot of depth. I thought Malik Beasley and Vanderbilt were going to be the two, you know, really key parts of this trade because the Lakers desperately needed three-point shooting. And Malik Beasley is a very good three-point shooter. He has been throughout his career. And then Vanderbilt was that defensive specialist, wing stopper, really rangy, had some defensive playmaking, draws offensive fouls, can kind of be that gnat, and then provides some some a little bit of rim protection as a help defender and then he was going to you know, impact the game rebounding because that becomes a little bit more important in the playoffs where he can supplement LeBron and AD's rebounding. And Beasley has played, he's had a really tough time on the Lakers. The regular season was really tough. The playoffs, he's, he's he hasn't fallen out of the rotation, but he's very, very close. Rui Hachimura, also they picked up at the trade deadline, has been fantastic in the playoffs. Not only he had some really big offensive outbursts, but just as a rebounder and just general size as a team defender when it's, AD, LeBron, and Rui. That is just like a lot of muscle out there. And like Rui's built like an android. And you know, he's not LeBron, but he's very, very, very big guy. So uh, just that general size and strength. And obviously Memphis, very, very tough team, physical team. That has helped the Lakers from just like a roster construction, general toughness, being able to wrestle a little bit down there. So uh, Memphis, they... Their season didn't go very well. Obviously, like the first half, they're like looking pretty good. Then they have the Steven Adams injury. Then the Brandon Clark injury, which was it's a long-term one. I think he tore his ACL where it was like, wow, you're losing like like those two guys and Jaron Jackson Jr. Like that trio was a really good big man trio. I actually thought one of the better ones in the league where like they all kind of give you something a little bit different. And losing two of those three guys, like, yes, Memphis has been one of the deepest teams the last two years, but that's like a real shot. Xavier Tillman actually had like a 20-point game, and I felt like he, he 
battled as well as he could, but he's just not the caliber of player to be playing in a series versus the Lakers. So that I think really hurt Memphis. And then on top of that, John missing a bunch of time late in the year. Cause he had, I don't even, I don't even know what you call that incident uh, where he had to like take time away from the team. And so just their, their mojo was not going picking up Luke Kennard was nice. He had some shots in the series, but uh, it's going to be interesting. Dylan Brooks is a free agent this year. And I think while he is one of the better perimeter defenders in the league, like I know he's famous more for like being a heel and being in the news and talking about poking bears and things like that. Like he, he is a good perimeter defender, like a very good one, but offensively he is probably one of the bigger minuses in the league where like, not only like he's not a very good three point shooter, like he's not very good at anything. So he is a giant hole offensively. And while Memphis is a defensive team, I'm interested to see if he walks in free agency and they try to make themselves up a little bit different. Because right now, without Brooks, the idea would be, you know, you'd have to, you'd have to replace him as with, with a player. In a, whether it be like, uh, it's just like another guy playing like 25 minutes. You could have Jaw, who is your creator. And then off that, Desmond Bain, who's one of the best movement shooters in the league. I think Bain is going to... I mean, he has been really, really great. And like, he can't break out because he's too good <laughs> to break out. But I think he's going to continue to develop to be like one of the best, like second guys on a team. I really, really have high hopes for him. I think he's a really good player, but he's an elite three-point shooter. Now you have Kennard on the roster, who's basically the best catch and shoot guy in the league. And then if you can add one more offensive piece to kind of go along with that trio they already have, um, you know, a combination of a player with a little bit of shooting and maybe a little bit of creation. Um, I think that could be really interesting or they could go a three and D route. Um, there's a lot of different things they could do, but I think if they could open up that roster spot with Dylan Brooks leaving town, I think that could really help Memphis next year in the playoffs, have a little bit more offensive punch because Jaron, obviously defense player of the year, really impactful there. The, the crazy block numbers and just the defensive playmaking is fantastic. And he is a, I would say he's probably a plus on offense. Like he had a, he had a big game versus the Lakers early in the series. Um, you know, he has some legit size. He can stretch it out. He can shoot the three. And he, again, is, I would say a plus, but not a huge plus on offense. Um, probably just a small one. So they just need a little bit more firepower. I know Desmond Bain developed uh, more as a playmaker and a self creator this year, but the problem is the load is just really heavy on jaw. So I would like to see them add another offensive piece in the off season. So the Lakers will be taking on Sacramento uh, or golden state, whoever wins that series, that's going to be really exciting, but yeah, that's, that's kind of the recap for the first round. The Lakers looked pretty good. They looked deep. I think one other thing for the Lakers, that's really important is they got D'Angelo Russell also at the trade deadline and Russell in his career has fluctuated in terms of how much impact he's brought, but he's one of those guys who has legit skill on offense. Like he is in a tier of skill that is higher than just other players where he's currently slotted on this team. Because right now I would say that the team is 
AD right now is the best player, and he was a defensive monster in the series. Like his def- his D LeBron for the playoffs is going to be really. I'm really excited to see that because it's going to be really high. His not only just the blocks and the steals, but just his overall paint presence was really fantastic. There was some plays where he switched out where I feel like he just really swallowed people up. Like he is playing the offense um, wasn't super consistent in the series. And, you know, that can be a little frustrating with AD sometimes, but you know, it is what it is. People just have really high expectations for him, but his defense in the series was fantastic. Was, was really, really dominant. But uh, right now the pecking order is it's AD LeBron and Reeves. I feel like I got to talk about LeBron here. So the foot, we talked about a little bit in the preview. He hurt the foot, missed some time, came back right before the playoffs. And he seems to be, Moving pretty well on defense. I feel like his help rim protection has been really good. I feel like his activity, he's definitely turned it up from the regular season. And he's looked pretty spry on defense, which has been good. Because again, you couple AD, you you know, you build everything around AD who's playing at a really high level. And then you have LeBron, who's a pretty good rebounder, uh, uses his size well. He's able to switch onto bigs and just kind of fight in battle because he's so strong. Where like no one, it doesn't matter how big you are, nobody's pushing LeBron around. So just having that strength at your four position has been nice. Uh, but he's been he's been pretty mobile on defense. On offense, you can see like he pretty much has stopped isolating from the perimeter almost like full stop. And this year it has gone down. It's gone down a lot the last two years. But like he pretty much has to be cutting because if he can start moving before he has the ball and he can build up that momentum or he can be in transition, he's still super devastating. His finishing around the rim has been fantastic, but it's just that like ability to start from a complete stop. The explosiveness just isn't there. I'd say the foot like before the foot was at like 65%. I would say now the foot seems like it's somewhere in the 70s, probably the low 70s where he can do he can see he can score on offense. It's just he can't dominate. So that's going to be something to look for. Possibly versus Sacramento or Golden State. It could be he could take advantage of like a mismatch and just be a lot bigger than the, the player he's guarding because those teams do like to go small. And then after that, Reeves, I feel like Reeves has had a good series, especially defensively. So I talked about this on it's a, it's a podcast I've recorded, but it hasn't come out. It'll come out in like a week. But uh, Reeves's overall defensive impact in the all-in-one metrics isn't super high because he's not a defensive playmaker. He's like actually pretty bad at defensive playmaking. And by that, I mean deflection, steals, blocks, things like that, drawing offensive fouls. Just overall, he does not make his impact there. And that hurts because, well, that just is valuable on defense. <laughs> it's, it's, it's that This year, actually, I've really come around on how valuable that is. But he is a fantastic on-ball defender. We have a perimeter isolation defensive metric. He was really, really strong in that this year. And then we also have an off-ball chaser metric, which just tracks how much you suppress and lower the shot quality of, like if you're chasing around a Steph Curry, if you can lower his shot quality or just suppress the amount of attempts he normally takes, that's you doing your job really well. And he, I thought, versus Bain in this series, did a very good job keeping a lid on him for big chunks of the series. Like I know Bain had some big games, but Bain is a really good player and a hyper elite shooter in the league. So uh, Reeves actually had a really big block uh, early in the series where he went behind him, was able to get just a piece of the ball. So uh, Reeves, not only offensively getting to the foul line, 
um, but also defensively just being able to man up, stay in front of his guy. So my, the whole point long-winded thing of that is now D'Lo is, I would say, fourth behind that. And once he slotted out of, because for me, normally the top three players on a team are like the building block players. And then after that, you get into the role players. And there's just a different level of stress on role players, what's required of them game to game. And with D'Lo, you know, there's been inconsistencies. He had a really rough playing game. He really struggled early in the series. But once the team got rolling, momentum, like you can see, he's able to throw passes to players like to ad lobs like other players just can't throw or in the pick and roll the pocket pass like he's able to create those more often and at a higher quality of other you know role players in the league like his his vision is higher and then on top of that he can really make some tough shots in the mid-range and uh from three-point land he had a big game obviously in game six so that volatility, like if D'Lo can have two big games, it can help swing a playoff series. That's what I talked about earlier, like having that depth of role players that can have, you know, a big game here, a big game there. I think D'Lo in that role is really valuable. And then, you know, if, the, if, if him and Rui are trading off having big games, like the Lakers are really, really difficult to beat because like their top end talent is still good. Like LeBron hobbled is still one of the better players in the league. AD has been a defensive monster, but when you get to your fourth, fifth guy and they're capable of, you know, having an 18 point game, that's really efficient. Or, you know, I think Rui had to maybe like two 20 point games to start the series. Like that is the difference maker in series. So that's uh, going to sum it up for the first round of the playoffs. Uh, really exciting overall. I'd say probably the biggest disappointment like so milwaukee is like the obvious answer there but it's tough when your best player gets hurt and then when he comes back we don't know what he was at i mean he's, he played well you know i think he had like a 38 point game but you just don't know where he's at like why he shot so poorly from the free throw line if it had to do with the back you know you just don't know so milwaukee obviously has to be the biggest disappointment they lost to an eight seed but Cleveland, for me, um, I was really disappointed versus the Knicks. I thought to only get one win in the playoffs and have such a great regular season, that's just really difficult. Um, and then after that, I think everything else, I think the Clippers situation is just like a bummer because they've just had such a hard time staying healthy. And Paul George, like a healthy Paul George and Russ, and Kawhi in the series would have been really interesting. I think it actually helped Russ to be so Russ is at his best when he's in the driver's seat. He has the ball all the time. He's constantly making things happen because yeah, there's going to be a lot of mistakes to get made. There's going to be a lot of turnovers, a lot of missed shots, but you're also going to get a lot of good. And like the more you give him the ball, the better he gets. So I'm not actually sure if Paul George comes back and Kawhi is completely healthy, if you get that same version of Russ, but it definitely would have been interesting. It definitely would have been interesting. So that's the, uh, the recap of the first round. My name is Taylor, and we'll see you on the next episode of the Basketball Index Podcast. <laughs>